Hi, Raja. Hi, Serge. It's lovely to see you again in a, after the pandemic. Same here. Same here. Yeah. And so today we're going to be talking about making room for emotions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, in addition, developing a capacity for emotions by making more room for them in the body. Yeah. 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 And and so that's a key point in the body. Yeah. Yeah. The the um science of embodied emotions in affective neuroscience has shown in the last 25 years, 20 years that when Emotions are blocked from the body. The brain's ability to process the situation in which the emotion arises, cognitively or emotionally or behaviorally, suffers quite a bit. I, I will talk more about the details of this research, ground the idea. So what we are doing in the integral somatic psychology approach, uh, specifically in the practice of embodying emotions, is to make sure that as few places in the body as possible are blocking emotional involvement, emotional experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so implicit in that is the notion that the experience of emotion is embodied. Yeah, that is. Uh, we now know that emotion involves the entirety of the brain and body physiology. Mm -hmm. Not only emotion, but also cognition and behavior. All three experiences, primary psychological experiences, we work with in um, all therapy modalities to a greater lesser extent. Yeah. Yeah. And what we know now is that it is emotion that is driving, determining cognition and behavior in every moment. These are all revolutionary um, scientific findings in the last 20 to 25 years. So that is why, in my approach, I focus on emotion. Mm -hmm. Because it drives cognition and behavior in every moment. And as we know... Unregulated emotions can lead to unregulated cognitions and behaviors, crimes of passion and conspiracy theories, for example. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we are focused on not only emotion, but also in regulating the emotion at the same time, so that cognitions and behaviors are also more as optimal as possible. Yeah. Now, the, the entirety of the brain and body physiology is involved in emotion. Yeah, the emotion can originate in the brain or the body in different ways. I, I talk about these things in my book. But ultimately, it, it involves the whole body. What is an emotion? A simple way to look at emotion is to understand it as the impact something has on our well-being. If a situation is favorable to us, we feel pleasant emotional experiences, starting with we feel good, we feel satisfied, we feel happy, we feel thrilled, we're ecstatic, and so on. We love it. <laughs> when the situation is unfavorable to us, it affects our well-being. We suffer, and therefore we say we hate it, we don't like it, you know, we feel bad about it, you know, we detest it, we hate it. So right? to interrupt so, you here. That yeah. sense that, that emotion, instead of saying emotion is, oh, there's important stuff and there's emotion being dismissed. Really, emotion is like the executive summary of uh, how we are with the world. I think it is actually, actually, it's, it's, you know, you hit the nail on the head. If you look at an emotion closely, you know, it has meaning in it. It has an action tendency in it. I love you means that the meaning is I'm favorable to you, but I also have an action, action tendency to come toward you, to connect with you. And there's an experience of it, liking, 
allow, etc. So you're right, it is a summary. It is a summary. That's why now the physiology of uh, cognition, emotion, and behavior have come to a point where they're saying that the physiology of emotion, cognition, behavior cannot be separated in the brain or the body. And so if you look at which is summary, which is the summary? Is it the behavioral tendency that's a summary? Or the evaluation of somebody, no. The emotional experience that is implicit in it, meaning as well as action tendency is a summary. I think that you just, when you say, when what did you say, executive summary? The executive summary of, of, of exactly. the response to, to the situation. So it yeah. happens in interaction. And in interaction, yeah. the yeah. whole organism yeah. is something emerges. Right, exactly. only three different things. We can see the side of emotion, the side of cognition, you yeah. know, or the sign of behavior. But right. it's all—it's an action. It's yeah. a—it's it's energy potential, if you will. Yeah, and an experience experience bundle, if you will. So exactly, exactly, and it, therefore it makes no sense to, um, you know, have an idea attitude toward emotion that it is irrational. It's cognition that is rational you know so mm -hmm. we it, it it works because the three are inseparable so if you work on one it can change the other right if you we know that if you change meaning you can change behavior and feeling if you change behavior it can change meaning and 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 uh, emotion right now what the thing the thing is when the body shut down that's the, the that you know, when the body is shut down, right? And it shuts down because we cannot tolerate the impact of what is happening to us. We know that in somatic psychology. Then, you know, the ability to change emotion through cognition or behavior is reduced. And that is the reason why we want to develop a greater capacity of emotion so the body remains open to the brain on the one hand, the environment on the other hand, so that the brain can actually process the situation much better, cognitively, emotionally, and behaviorally. So, so this is very exciting, actually. So, what you're talking about is essentially that there's a flow of life that manifests in many ways. And if you block the emotion, uh, then the flow itself is interrupted in all directions. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. You're right. I mean, including spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. So when I shut down, right, when I shut down, uh, the organism shuts down. It's shutting down not only to the brain, right? It's shutting down to the environment, which in includes the human environment, relationships suffer. It's sh shutting down to a larger energetic field, in which case our spirituality suffers, our energy suffers. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where it's important to make room for where it lives, which is in the body. You know, Rumi said this, no? He said, you know, open all the windows, right? Mm -hmm. Light a lamp that equate to awareness. Open all the doors and windows that equate to what? Opening the defenses in the body. Mm -hmm. The energetic defenses in the body, cognitive defenses in the body, maybe psychological defenses in the brain, so that the emotion, the wind, can come in and fully occupy it and be lit, made aware. I think, I think, uh, I think the approach can be traced back to Rumi. So, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so that's that point that um, what it is is there are blocks that occur to protect us from the intensity. Yeah. Yeah, and these blocks can happen. Mainstream psychologists don't understand that physiological defenses are there even before psychological defenses come in. Mm -hmm. They can form in utero, you know, in, in terms of constriction or energy inhibition, you know, and they can happen especially early on when the brain is not mature, the body is not mature, the physiological and energetic differences keep us alive. So you let's, know? let's describe a little bit more for people who are less familiar with it. 
the yeah. form that some of these energetic differences, physiological defenses can take. Yeah, I'll, tell, I'll give you an example, a personal example. You know, I nearly died when I was born, along with my 16-year-old mother. Yeah. And um, I came very close to cerebral palsy. And um, my legs, you know, when you have experienced such perinatal stress, in order to handle that, you know, my, my legs became spastic. In a cerebral palsy, you know, the, you have spasticity and then disorganization, right? They, they were so spastic, the legs were. There was hardly any energy in them. You know, my energy has drawn to the core and it has gone up. So it was very mental, bright, extremely good at school in abstract subjects, you know. But I was not good uh, in dealing with emotions because they energized my body. They made me suffer. They triggered the old experiences. So I remain relatively disembodied and of energy in the body and of emotion in the body, consequently. So I have had to do a lot of difficult work in you know, the body work, yoga, you know, to, to make this the physiological differences in the body more open. You know, it's not just a matter of working with psychological defenses such as denial, etc., or have just empathy, which is very important for accessing emotion. But if the legs are not have been, you know, spastic or they've been, they they had adhesion for a long time, that requires very physical somatic work to open it up in yeah, a movement yeah. or you know that I don't have to tell you that the mainstream psychotherapists don't know that, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. But so, so what you're saying is essentially that lots of the language that we have in psychological language, like standing on your own two legs. Is not just a metaphor, but it's actually no. uh, an absolutely physical reality. Yeah, grounding being grounded means having enough energy in the leg, mm -hmm. and it turns out when we have enough energy in the leg, we have more access to emotion. Mm -hmm. When we have more access to emotion, and we can tolerate it more, the energy goes to the leg more to the leg. You know, automatically. These are the clinical phenomena we can observe. Yeah. 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 So you have a direct experience in your life of the difficulty of tolerating yeah. the emotion at a physiological yeah. level yeah. and yeah. the work done to reclaim that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, I'll go one step further. Nobody, nobody can develop capacity to tolerate all possible emotions, you know, um, throughout one's life. It's not possible because emo then emotions will lose their meaning, right? Emotions communicate to us the impact of the environment on us from which we learn, with which we respond to the, uh, the world. For example, I get hurt, that's the impact. I get angry, that's impact, but I can use the anger to mobilize myself to do something about it in the world. Right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and at no point in time, uh, in a, but my body is limited. My brain is limited. It will always be limited uh, throughout my life in relation to the impact things have on me. I can have more, I can have a bigger boat with which I can travel more um, peacefully in the in the turbulent ocean or a smaller boat it, that rocks me around every day is a horrible day because the boat is not stable because it's not big enough so having a, develop, a, a greater capacity for emotions or opposites as carl jung would say or uh, you know buddhists would say uh, uh, is to have the bigger boat to travel the turbulent ocean of life so that is where the equanimity comes from. The true equanimity comes from a, having a more spacious, you know, well-keeled boat, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So that um, essentially stopping to think of equanimity as moral and almost disembodied, but thinking of it as building that bigger container where the emotions have room to be right. processed. 
Right, right. In fact, you can, we, when we, uh, repeatedly I point out, um, when a person can tolerate an emotion in the body, they can be more mindful of it. The separation of subject and object or I, the experiencer, and the experience is more possible when the, when the experience is more tolerable in the body. Mm -hmm. It's also true, I can also separate in the observer the sense of self and the awareness, which is higher spiritual experience, when I have more capacity to tolerate emotions in the body, opposite emotions in the body. And that's why on the path of enlightenment, people say the first qualification you need to develop is the ability to tolerate the opposites uh, in emotions in your body, in life. Yeah. And so essentially another way to state it is there's a sense of expansion from being lost in the emotion to developing more than that, the ability to watch the emotion and then maybe yeah. the ability to watch the awareness. Exactly, exactly. That uh, Watching the awareness itself is on a higher level, at least... You know, it's like I'm in the ocean and, and my head is underwater and freaking out. That's when I don't have the capacity of emotion. Mm -hmm. When I have the capacity of emotion, at least my head is above water. I'm still having a hor horrible experience, but I know that I'm having a horrible experience. I can at least observe myself as having the experience. You know, whereas under the water, I'm going, I'm going to die. It's completely, I'm identified with the experience of the body that's dying. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which which can never die, you know, as you know. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's no. why the, that work is making room. Yeah, making room, making room. And the question is, how do you go about making the room? Now, why is it important to make the room? And I think I want to come back to it and just give give the listeners a, a couple of, you know, studies, you know, very quickly. It, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, there's a great psychology department. There's a wonderful... Uh, uh, you know, scientist named Paula Niedenthal, and she has an emotions laboratory. And what they did there was to, um, this is one of the many studies in the paradigm of embodied emotions. There are two groups of people. Um, one group of people, they've both shown the same emotionally laden video clip. And uh, one group uh, had the, uh, they were both watching it, and their heads were wired up so that they could see which how the brain is processing the situation, emotion, and so on in the video clip. One group was told to bite on a mm. pen. And um, so that the facial muscles became, you know, invariant. They cannot become involved in an experience. You know, a part of the body needs to be able to, you know, vary its state in order to participate in an experience, right? And... Um, so if I want to smile, I can't. I want to be sad, I can't. That's the idea. The other group was not given this free pen. And what they noticed was that this group that was inhibited, the, the group uh, whose face was inhibited, its brain, they can see in the brain that it's not processing the emotion in the emotion centers, or it's not processing the associations, you know, the, the cognitive situation of the emotion. And after the experiment, they were asked, you know, they couldn't remember the situation or the emotion as well as the other group that was uninhibited, that could, that was not inhibited from, you know, allowing its face to be involved in the emotional experience. And they, they did a task two weeks later, the same results. So essentially by blocking the emotional experience, by forming defenses in the body, right? Uh, by, um, disallowing the body from being involved in emotional experience, we really severely compromise the brain's ability to process the situation in which the emotion arises. Everything is, is beautiful. And similar experiments for the body. For example, we know that love and attraction are positive, like uh, uh, attraction emotions. So they, they're always accompanied by what? Some forward movement of posture in the body. Right, that kind of thing, energetically. So what they would do, they would put the person in the back position, aversive position, and have them process the attraction, attraction emotions in the brain, and the same thing. So from that, we understand that for the 
brain to process the situation, not just the emotion. Because the cognition and behavior are implicit in the emotion, right? To, you have to, you know, involve the body in emotion. Make sure that it's involved, not blocked. And if you think about it, somatic psychology, the earlier somatic psychologies, even later somatic psychologies, they're so focused on the defenses against emotions in the body, you know, armoring, undoing it, undoing it, etc. So this modern scientific basis is actually giving a solid, solid a priori scientific validity for the inclusion of the body in psychological modalities, all psychological modalities. We, you know, we can say from this, you know, I, I, um, uh, that if you don't involve the body in some way, in 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 uh, in your in your psychological modality, be it cognitive behavioral therapy or Jungian psychology, or psychoanalysis, and make sure that the body is not blocked from emotion, right? you're going to be offering, practicing a level of psychology that's more suboptimal, you know, in terms of treatment times and outcomes. You know, it's really a disservice to the field of psychology not to include the body and the emotion in the body, you know. So it's, it goes beyond my modality. You know, I'm going to be talking about this very topic a little later today. But, you know, uh, this is what I found in terms of doing research from a book. You know, I knew that it worked, Yeah. So I, that, love, that, I love I love these examples uh, because they make very graphic. Then when we talk about emotional experience, experience means embodied, and if you cannot process the experience in the body, that's yeah. not an experience, and then yeah. it has now, not happened. Yeah. Now you, when you say experience is embodied in the body, right? You're saying that, but that's not what most psychotherapists were taught. It was all, everything is exp embodied in the brain. The body is just an appendage that executes things. Yeah. That's what they know. So we have to explain it to them. This, these scientific findings drive home the point. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Yeah. so that's how, you know, I was, um, I, 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 I learned that um, early on, that emotion involved the entirety of the brain and body physiology, thanks to Damasio, thanks to Candice Pert, and so on. So, and then I was thinking, why don't I, um, you know, you know, and I also learned about, um, you know, defenses, different types of defenses. I talk about seven categories of defenses uh, in the book. Then I said, when these defenses really, you know, they kind of, um, compromising physiological flows that are important for self-regulation and well-being. So if you're trying to limit the emotional experience in the body by blocking it in so many different places, then it's act it must be harder than when we actually allow it to be in more places at the same time. And that's how, you know, that's how it turned out to be. You know, in my own experience, it turned out to be. For example, if I had grief from abandonment, and uh, that's stressing my uh, heart area. And I'm, I'm going, uh, uh, and I'm told, stay with it till it transforms. And I focus my awareness on my heart where the grief is. I stay with it. It's not going, you know, it doesn't transform. I just go away from it sooner or later. As opposed to when I say, let me allow the grief to expand to my lungs from the heart or into my face, into my throat, maybe through a sound, uh, uh, uh then it becomes immediately more handleable, more tolerable. That's the beauty of it. And so... It's alive so and you have a connection to it. Come again? It's alive and you have a connection to it. You have a connection to it. And, the, and we know from this practice of embodying emotions that the brain is processing it much better than it would if I had just limited it to... Uh, one place. Now, I also come from Eastern psychology, right? I mean, my approach includes Eastern psychology, quantum psychology, that the subtle body, a quantum level body, the energy of it is what stimulates all experiences in the gross body. The Western psychological model is about the gross body, most of the time, the womb to tomb body, I call it, right? It's all mm -hmm. about that, right? 
But in Eastern psychology, we have another body. And it is that body that stimulates all experiences and the gross body. And, uh, the theory is that in every life, the, the, um, the subtle body of the soul takes on a new gross body to have specific experiences in order to transform itself that you cannot do just being in the subtle body, the quantum body. So from that point of view, limiting the emotional experience to one place in the body is like limiting all the subtle body energy to one place in the body. You can imagine the extra stress that it will create in that area. Yeah, I'll give you an example, simple example, no? with pleasant emotion. You know? mm -hmm. A woman, a, a student, came to me and said, doctors cannot find out what's going on with my heart. I have a cardiovascular problem, the symptoms. They cannot diagnose it. Anytime anybody comes to me with cardiovascular problems, I say, please leave and go to a medical doctor and then come back to me after an evaluation, right? But she said, I've been through that and I'm disturbed. And because I knew that she was a very spiritually oriented woman, I just had this, um, you know, uh, you know, question come up, do you have a spiritual practice? And she said, yes, what is it? No, I said, do you have a spiritual practice that involves the heart? And she said, yes, what is it? Loving meditation, right? And tell me what is this? I tried to, for as long as possible, perhaps an hour or two, I tried to generate heart, love in my heart with memories of love, and I stay within my heart, right? I stay within my heart. I said, okay. There is the problem. Mm -hmm. So what is she doing? She's generating the emotion here, the energy here, but you know, not allowing it to go throughout the body by focusing on it. Because awareness, energy follows awareness, and experience follows energy, right? First principle of energy. So, so by doing that, she's actually stressing. This is what you know, Celia, the um, Stress scientist, the father of stress, he's called no? Hans Selya. He said, "Oi, stress, stress from good things. That if you subject your body to a lot of emotion that's good for a long time, it's also going to stress it." Here, she's creating a problem. No wonder the doctors could not figure out because there's nothing wrong with the heart. You know, when you scan it, etc. There's no, no valve problem or coronary artery problem. It's just that she was stressing it in the moment every day. And so I said, do this. Please don't meditate for two hours. You know, I'm sure you have a lot of things to do. Do it for 30 minutes, one hour. But when you do that, expand your awareness as the love, uh, energy of love arises here in the experience to take it to as many places in the body as possible. And she stopped having that symptom. So that's a simple example of, you know, creating more space for the emotion, yeah, to increase well-being. And capacity for it. it it's, it's pleasant emotion. Yeah. So, so I want to share with you that in listening to you uh, express this, I'm also paying attention to your body language. And so uh, I was noticing how, you know, you were talking about, you know, her experience in meditating and there's that contraction, that folding in. Right, right, right. It felt painful yeah. as you're describing it because yeah, you, you could feel yeah, the yeah. contrast between the heart wanting to expand exactly. and the exactly. body closing in. Exactly, so, exactly. So, you know, it's like it wants to expand and you tighten it. And then how much relief there is when you allow it to expand. Yeah, you're pointing to one of the ways in which we form defenses through posture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the that's the practice really. Uh, it's about uh, uh, you know when clients come to us, they have they either come to us with the situation in which they're having a difficult time, right? A relationship situation, work situation, or friendship situation, or they just come to us and say, "I feel lousy. I don't know why." Correct? Mm -hmm. Two possibilities. Help me. I have no idea what's going on. I'm miserable. I was happy last week. This week, I'm so miserable. I'm, I'm so unhappy. I don't know what's going on. Right? No insight yeah. into, no connection. Right? 
And uh, so we might then go about finding out what is going on in their life to see whether we can make a connection and find stresses in their life that might contribute to this emotion, right? So the situation is the step one. You know, emotion is a reaction to a situation, whether it's conscious or unconscious, definitely. You know. uh, it could be that they're upset about what's going on in the Middle East right now. You know, and they might not be aware, might not be aware that they are upset about it, you know. And um, and and um, so the second step is to find the emotion, right? If the emotion is there, then you just support it and expand it in the body. And we'll see how we can do that in a concrete way. Uh, and and um, in a simple way, um, but supporting for emotion from the other is one of the most in, important ingredients of accessing emotion and staying with an emotion. We can do all kinds of things, fancy things with the body, or movement, or touch, or body work, but unless there is empathy and sympathy on the part of the friend or lover or caregiver or therapist, it's going to be very hard for us to come into a difficult emotion. It does not matter how old we are. So that, we need that, that. Welcoming it, that really that welcoming it. Yeah, welcoming it, understanding it, and, and knowing, allowing it to, learning that it can be a, throughout the body in a more tolerable way, not just here, just stay with it, etc., or try to operate on it cognitively, you know, prematurely try to correct it. So you mentioned Rumi before, and there is yeah. a Rumi poem about the guest house. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Welcoming yeah. the guests, like the emotions as guests. Right, 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 exactly. Open, I think I'm, I'm just, uh, guest house, they will stay as long as they need to, open all the doors and windows, light a lamp. This is what I remember from the guest house, you know, that poem. Yeah, so, yeah. That's what we're asking people to do, because science now says, it agrees with Rumi, right? So the science of embodied emotions agrees with Rumi and what we, how we need to be with emotions, you know. So, yeah, the 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 practice has four ingredients: the situation, emotion, and support for it, and um, and working working with the body and energy to expand it. You know, there we can form defenses against it on a physiological level, which is what the book is about. The, the energetic defenses we form in the, the level of the subtle body, which is not in the book, I refer to it in the last chapter, will be the subject of another book later on. Yeah. And so it's about expansion regulation. But in all, as we expanding and regulating the body or energy, so that we are opening the doors and the windows, in Rumi's analogy, right? Uh, we need to continue to pay, be mindful of the situation and the support we provide for the emotion. Otherwise, what will happen is that the body will just, energy will get more regulated and the person will be away from the situation and the regulation. And so that's the, the message. That if you don't continue to support the emotion, yeah. right, and the situation, the person will just regulate the, you know, when we, expand and regulate the body and energy, they'll just become more neutral. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is the risk. You know? So we need to be mindful of that. So even though we say four steps, there are four ingredients. So mm -hmm. like you're cooking something, like you know, the four ingredients, you put more of one, less of the other, depending on the need of the situation. So. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I'm just reading... A, uh, I just um, I just worked with somebody in Zurich, a woman, and uh, she's a body worker. She knows how to work with others' bodies, her body, etc. And I realized, and she has migraines. Yeah. And what she wanted to work with was the following migraines. And um, uh, difficulty in being close. Her husband said to her, I would like to be closer to you. And she has three children with him. And she said, I would like to be close too. She understands that. She has that much insight. But there's something holding her back. Right, so she's busy caring for children and caring for 
the household, and she realizes that there's an avoidance there. She would like to work with it. There's the migraine, and there is this. And so we started to work with the difficulty in being close, mm-hmm. right? The difficulty. She had very little access to differentiated emotions, such as sadness or anger, etc. So this is one of the things people ask. You know, therapists ask me, my clients don't have affect. They take an hour, a year of relationship to come at affect. I said, no, they came to you with affect. This is because we were taught that affect is limited to primary emotions, so they're combinations, right? When somebody comes to you and says they feel bad, that is a very emotional statement. Feeling bad is legitimate. So let's start expanding that. So, yes. so that's what we did. You know, it was like just, you know, it's like a reluctance in the body that felt bad. Feeling bad. Where does it feel bad? Where else does it feel bad? Vocalize that. Uh, uh, Because very often we repress everything. We're repressing facial and vocal expression. Mm -hmm. And we know from the experiment with the pen, that is a severe block to the brain's ability to process, be aware of what's going on emotionally and otherwise. So we did that. You know, it was like, it was a study. The session was a study in how many differences can come in. Yeah, body differences can come in, cognitive differences can come in, philosophical differences can come in the way of emotion. So it was like we were just, it was a classic uh, study in the different types of defenses. And, we, you know, we you know, patiently noted them and continued to work with it. And I could sense there's another thing we can do in tracking the clients. This is another thing called interpersonal resonance. You know, I, I would like to come back to it. You know, we can track what's going on in the body empathically through our body. Through that, I knew that energy was going down, right? As opposed to in migraine, there's a top uh, heavy concentration of energy, headaches, no? So I'm always trying to bring it down out into the arms, into the legs. I was trying to do that, no? By working with the different diaphragms in the body and so on. And that was happening. But, you know, very little was happening as far as she was concerned. In fact, she was not even aware. She told me later a lot of, she was not aware of a lot of what is going on because she's not very psychologically insightful on top of it. And and then she wrote to me and I just got an email from her. I was looking at it this morning. She said, I have to tell you, something has changed. I feel so light and I feel so much lighter in the upper half of her body, which is fantastic for remission of a migraine symptom. She hasn't had one after the session, even though we pushed her into the most difficult emotions in her life, right? And she feels more grounded. And she wants to learn more about the method and she wants to, you know, like get more sessions. Will she refer me to someone? That session was hard session. In fact, after the session, I had difficulty bringing my energy down. You know, how you resonate with someone. and But then when I hear that, I go, yes, this really works. You know, this really works. And I'm so glad to be be able to channel such a methodology that's so useful to people. So what you're describing is an example in which the emotion was not visible. Many therapists would have said there's no emotion, not just her. and um, you knew, of course, that there is not no emotion when somebody feels bad. You know, there is it's there. There's emotion, yeah, right there. And um, through that resonance tracking, yeah. to be in the presence of emotion, to be in the presence of energy, yeah, by sensing it into her, sensing it into yourself. And yeah. so there was a process, yeah. the yeah. energy. Yeah. And the process yeah. was not just occurring in her body, but it, it was, was occurring also in you and in the space between and the whole space. Right, 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 right. So it's, it's, it's the emotion, the experience is interactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what um, Tabarthian would call primary intersubjectivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
except that I don't think that he ever thought about it this way. Yeah. Being so mental. And the secondary intersubjectivity involves the environment, not just the therapist and client or mother and child, but the whole environment. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. so as we're coming to the end, I want yeah. to check if there's something else you might want to add. Let's see. Um, there are there are a couple of things. No, I would like to invite the listeners to use. Mm -hmm. um, one, people are um, people. Um, sometimes have very low affect tolerance, right? Very low capacity to tolerate emotions, for whatever reason, you know. Um, they brought up in a fam environment in which there was low affect tolerance, or their physiology is quite dysregulated from trauma. Yeah. In either case, we find this especially with people who form psychophysiological symptoms. It, there's a combination of um, low affect tolerance and um, high physiological dysregulation, right? You find it in complex trauma. You find it in psychophysiological symptoms. You find it in borderline states, right? Then th these four steps of emotional embodiment Situation, emotion, it's expansion and integration. There's an integration state that I forgot to talk about, which is noticing how the body and energy are more regulated after developing a capacity for an emotion. Yeah. For mm -hmm. example, if I expand the grief from the chest to the, the heart to the lungs, then I find the whole area, its ability to breathe more automatically, you know, because there's not a constriction here against the emotion of the heart, it opens up. So noticing that, that is integration. Yeah. And as this opens up, the energy also goes down. That's that kind of integration. We also notice that it makes it makes the experience more tolerable, but doing too much of that actually is a, can become a defense. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, it can be done seven steps. Seven easy steps. And it is on my website. If you go to the blog section of my website, integralsomaticpsychology.com, I think the second recent uh, blog is the seven-step protocol for embodying emotions. And what it is, is that there's a situation that is step zero, and then you find an emotion in it, that's step one. Let's say you feel lousy about what's going on in the Middle East right now and you can't do anything about it. You can, you know, contribute and so on. But over and above that, advocate politically and all those things you can do, but over and above, how do you deal with the stress of it? So I feel very bad about it. You can go. So you, that's the emotion. That's step one. Step two is to find it in one place in the body. Step two. Let's say it's in the chest. I feel bad. Okay. There you expand it a little bit by expanding the awareness, you know, not to focus the awareness on where the stress is, but beyond the stress to, and me, maybe even vocalizing it a bit uh, to help it to expand. And then that's step two. Immediately look for the, the stress in another part of the body, maybe belly. Let me stop you just for a moment in the step yeah. two. So you yeah. localize the emotion and yeah. uh, so expand it a bit, just a little a bit. So instance, if the expansion, if the emotion itself is yeah. a collapse, so I think that maybe like the voicing, the vocalizing might yeah. be a nice way to expand yeah. the collapse. Yeah. No, the not expanding, expanding the collapse, expanding the emotion, the, the experience. No, the collapse feels that the collapse feels bad. That's the emotion, not the collapse. Collapse is a behavior. Mm. Okay. The collapse in the collapse, you feel it doesn't feel good to collapse. That's the feeling. Go for the feeling. 
So not expand the collapse exactly. Yeah, so, right. So so yeah. what the vocalizing do- does is give an expression to how bad it feels to be collapsing. Collapse. Yeah, exactly. It has to match that. It can't be om or something else that changes it. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, but you don't have to do that. You can just expand your awareness to more of the chest where the bad feeling is, and that that might be sufficient for the for the the bad feeling to expand. You know. Awareness expands, energy expands, and emotion expands too. That's the idea. If it doesn't, then you can put your hand there. That's the second tool to help it, not to make it go away to feel it. The third tool will be vocalizing it. You know, mm-hmm. so then you do it not for too long because it's like you're walking on fire in a very unstable system. You don't want to stay for too long to burn your feet. Look for it in another step. Three, you look for it in another place, right? Belly. Or face, or throat, wherever, right? You can put one hand here where it is. Expand your awareness to the chest, and connect that. You know, entrainment is the idea. Connect that bad feeling in the chest to your abdomen. You can put your hand there. Expand your awareness to the belly, and then vocalize it. And you know, it might be the chest, it might be the arms. We don't know where. You know, but that's and a I, good I bet. Wanna, I want to add that the logic of it is what we talked about is the emotion is something that's a whole response so yeah. that naturally it tends to be everywhere and so if it could not, be could be we're not could noticing be. it yeah or that exactly if you don't do that we are trying to lift a whole bag with just one arm not two arms right yeah so this so local it. expansion local expansion in another place you know yeah and uh, there also uh, you know, the seven-step protocol, on the website, under books, there are digital resources. There is a seven-step video on working with grief, and working with grief in seven steps. So I'm just giving people more options sure. to follow up to this podcast. No? And um, the, the, third, the third step, then you don't want to stay in that place for too long. In the fourth step, you orient yourself to look for what I call integration. What is orientation? Integration. Integration is improvement in breath. Four things, specific things, because people don't have the time to, you know, know, if you ask them, what do you feel in the body? You have to tell them what to feel theoretically. Look for what you can expect theoretically. Improvement in breath is guaranteed. If you do that in two places, more capacity, Energy expansion is guaranteed in one or two places. Or muscle tension reduction is guaranteed in one or two places. You're looking for these three things. So look for where your breathing is better, or muscle is less tense, muscular tension is less, or energy is expanded in a good way, a little bit. So three, three things, you have to look for it. That's fourth step, looking for it. Fifth step is actually finding it. So they say, oh, my breathing is a little better. So, okay, stay with it a little bit. The ease of breathing. Yeah, the emotion is there. Let it be in the background. Then they open it up. Not for too long. And they say, where else do you notice integration? That is expansion of energy, reduction of muscular tension, or improvement in breath. And they might say, "My there's more energy in my legs. Okay, let's focus on that a little bit. That is step six, right? In step seven, we go for global integration. We say, sense the whole body. Here, you're again noticing how the whole body is breathing better, more energized, or more balanced in energy, or less tense, you know, not locally. And you might even notice how it might be connecting to the energy outside. You can expect that, right? When the body opens, it connects to the archetypal resources. And that's a simple step. And it's you know, it's just remarkable, you know, what it can do. And I, I wish I could, uh, there had a time to tell you, recent uh, session I did, I'm going to post it, actually. It's so remarkable, I'm going to post it, you know, and, and, and on the website. Because we have videos on the website under the book section, under digital resources of my working with myself with the four steps, my working with somebody else's fear of dying, my working with a woman with seven-step protocol with grief and so on. So you can you can go to book digital resources section 
and also you can read about this protocol in the thing in the um in the um in the in the blog section the other thing i would like to share before i leave because i have another uh, uh, presentation in the 5 or 10 minutes is that i did a one day workshop online workshop workshop for ukrainians civilians and military right where i taught them strategy st- excuse me strategies for quickly uh, strategies for regulate the phys- in war the physiology is overwhelmed how do you regulate it quickly through the body through the energy right through energy through the body that's one part of it of course people are distraught emotionally how do you regulate them emotionally through the seven steps then i worked with a woman who cannot sleep because her husband and son are on the eastern front at risk a wife who's working in the military you know she's in a camp where they're training new soldiers counseling them but her husband is in the southern front she cannot sleep either so i worked with them there are two demonstrations and when the middle east war broke out i i just felt compelled to just make this one day i think it's a 5 hour video course available for free and uh, uh if you want to we going to it's we going to make it available you need to register it's a secure portal you can't we can't post it on youtube anything it has to be secure but you can watch it and you can ask your friends and colleagues to access it so that you can work with people with who have been who have been traumatized by war violence or terrorism yeah and all, you can apply it to yourself and i will also send you a link to it uh, search um but you can go to my website if you get on my newsletter then you, you will be in the database and you will be you be sent an announcement early next week of how to access this course and i want to just share that with you so. great 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 thanks raja thanks yeah. so much for sharing all of this Thank you Serge. It's lovely to see you again. This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.